I'm so excited to see all of you here this morning. We are doing a month on parenting this month. This is our fifth week. I want to introduce our speakers this morning. Um, I have the privilege of introducing Clay and Sally Clarkson, and they have a ministry called Whole Heart Ministries. Um, They live in Monument, Colorado, and started their ministry back in 1998. It's a ministry to parents, um, leading them and guiding them um, as Christian parents. And Clay and Sally have both written several books, which I have a couple here that I'll highlight in just a moment. Um, If you're interested in finding out more about their ministry, you can go to sallyclarkson.com. Sally and her daughter Sarah also wrote a book called The Life-Giving Home, and they have a website, I think it's lifegivinghome.com. Is that right? Just go to wholeheart.org, that's right. Wholeheart will give you links to all their different um, various arms of the ministry, blogs. Um, Sally also has a podcast now, which is fabulous, called At Home with Sally. Um, So personally, I just wanted to tell you a little bit how they've impacted my life, and I wanted to bring them in because I met Sally about 10 years ago. She um, came to New Life and gave several of us pastor's wives her, I think maybe the first book that she wrote, called The Mission of Motherhood. No, but no, never mind, that's not right. (laughs) But fourth book. Um, But it so impacted my life as a mother, just inspiring me to love the Lord and to impart love and wisdom to our family. So I'm so grateful for Sally and Clay and for their children. They're just wonderful, fabulous people that I'm so fortunate to know and to have them impart into my life and Glenn's life and our family's life for so many years now. So um, I'll welcome them in just a second to come up here. I have a few books of theirs that I'd like to give away. So I'm trying to come up with a fun giveaway thing here. Um, Let's see, who is the youngest? Let's try to figure out who the youngest parents are here. Anybody just had a baby recently? No, not recently. (laughs) How recently? Within the past year. Anybody have a baby within the past year? Oh, three. Okay. All right. Let's give these. Somebody want to help me? You want to help me? Let's give these to the the newest people who've had a baby in the past year. Okay. And then let's see. Anybody had a birthday in October? Okay, we've got one, <laughs> two, okay. All right, we'll do that. So this is, happy birthday, heartfelt discipline. You will now know how to discipline your children. <laughs> so this one's by Clay. Let's see, we've got one more. <laughs> Let's see, who has the oldest child in here? Does anybody have a teenager? Oh, <laughs> Okay, let's go here to Karen's. Perfect. Well, I hope you are all blessed by these books. Um, they have so many wonderful resources. I wish I had time to tell you all about them. But please go to their, to their websites and blogs to hear more about their resources. Um, one more quick announcement before we get started. I have a clipboard at the back. And we are really hoping to get some more family meal groups going at New Life Downtown. Um, we, we just don't have enough. For, we have so many young families and we don't have enough that accommodate. We have space for families to come to. So if you're interested in being a part of that, please leave your name and information. Or if you're interested in leading something like that, we'd love to get more of those going. So without further ado, I will pass the mic to the Clarksons. Kelly? She's got it. 
I never know if people are sitting in the back in case they want to leave, but just know I'll, I'll see you. No, <laughs> teasing. Um, Clay and I are backseat sitters also. So uh, I'm so glad to be here. And we've been friends with Holly and Glenn for a long time. And it's been such a wonderful part to be a part of New Life. And then we were a part of the beginning of this church. And uh, we just love the philosophy, the things that are happening here. And we consider it a real big honor to be here. Uh, we have about 10 hours of material for this morning, so <laughs> we'll try to hurry through it. But I'll tell you just a little bit about uh, Clay and me. I, uh, we both became Christians through a student ministry when we were in college. And I ended up going over to Vienna, Austria, where I was um, challenged to be the first traveling woman in Eastern Europe when it was still communist. And so I worked in Romania, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, Hungary, and Poland, for a number of years, and then I moved into Poland when Pope John Paul was still there, so I am ancient. But anyway, uh, it was fun because he actually asked uh, Campus Crusade for Christ in her bar- How about if I just put it here, see if that helps. Anyway, he asked Campus Crusade for Christ, InterVarsity, and Billy Graham to come in and try to have some kind of spiritual impact in a communist culture. And I got to be a part of that group. And so we, uh, we cut our teeth on discipling people in such a way that if we were kicked out of the country, we thought, we want to see if they're going to stay disciples, if they're going to really still follow Christ, if they're going to know enough of the word, that they'll be able to last. So fast forward, uh, Clay was working in the United States, and, and he uh, worked with a lot of different groups for a while. Then he decided to go to seminary. But he was one of my financial supporters. And, of course, the joke is that, yeah, he still is, and, <laughs> and that I've cost him much more than he ever knew. <laughs> but uh, fast forward, we got married, he graduated from Denver Seminary, and we went back overseas where he was one of the international uh, pastors in Vienna. And literally, as we were there, we, neither of us had ever really done anything with children. I was the only girl in my family. I had never changed a diaper and I was all about leadership and, and building into these women so that they could go and impact their culture. And Clay had never seen a baby, I don't think, in his whole life. <laughs> so we ended up having three children in less than five years. And so it definitely changed our lives. And eventually we moved back to the United States. Clay was in California. And after having discipled leaders and internationals and diplomats and people from different places, when we had these children, we realized, oh my goodness, they have, uh, they're going to have an impact for eternity. As a matter of fact, I remember when I had my first daughter, Sarah, uh, she, I was holding her and not having any idea what to do. And it was as though God whispered to me, I have trusted into your hands this eternal human being, this, this person, that I want to have this person know me and know my ways and know, have integrity and character. And by you loving her, she'll believe in my love. And by you impacting her mind, she'll have a great mind to think great thoughts. And anyway, it was one of those, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. Because no one had ever really told me anything about parenting. And so... Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about the talk that we're going to give today, but just want to introduce you a little bit. Clay and I became all about messages. What's behind me? Oh, our books. These are some of our books. 
uh, we've both written a number of books, and um, you can find us on wholeheart.org, as he said. But the reason that we became message-driven is because we realized that as a man thinks, so is he. Uh, without a vision, uh, the, my, my ma- most famous quote is, in the absence of biblical conviction, people will go the way of culture. So if you don't have a biblical conviction or a biblical view about how to establish foundations in any area of your life, then you're probably going to go the way of culture. And it's especially true in parenting. Because in, on the internet and uh, on all the different websites today, you can probably pretty much have permission to do anything you want to do and to uh, even justify your decision as though all decisions are equal. But we really began to realize the more we studied and the more we wrote our messages that if, if you can have a clear vision of how God intended the family to be and why children are profoundly important in every generation to pass on God's righteousness, his ways, his vision, his, uh, what he wants us to do, then you will look differently at your children. If you believe that worshiping God is an issue of being faithful, to shape and disciple and train and love your children. That that's kind of the, the book that you're writing for the integrity of your life that other people will see. Then you will act differently towards your children if you realize that in, in, acting, in, um, in engaging with them, that you're engaging with the Lord. So I want to tell you about our children really quickly. Um, I'll go Sarah right here, the one in the middle, just got married in uh, August. She's 32, and she's finishing her degree in Oxford in theology. And so is her husband. They're, he's studying there. So they have this dream of impacting someplace all over uh, the Anglican channels uh, for the Lord. And uh, so they're studying theology together and having a lot of fun. And then Joel, our son uh, here, is turning 30 this month and he is a composer and a musician and he has spent some time overseas as well in some of the English schools but he uh, he really loves words writing music and he orchestrates for film scores and uh, he also has done a lot of choral music so he's in the process of developing those areas just getting back from Cambridge and uh, uh, Nathan is my son, who is my ADHD, ODD, OCD, oh my goodness child. And um, he was always out of the box the moment he came into our home. And we were actually publishing a book together this month. Uh, Nathan had, he, uh, we, he had created this movie. He wrote this movie on about $8,000, and then he got all these people to be in it. And by God's mercy and grace, it got picked up by Netflix and then was in Walmarts and so all over the world. And so people started writing him and said, I heard that you were clinically OCD and you know you have mental illness and you had some educational issues, but you actually did something with your life. And Nathan's one of these uh, bulldozers, out-of-the-box extroverts, and he came to me and he said, Mom, you and I should write a book about what it's like to be different and out-of-the-box and how you lived through me. Um, how you made it into my adulthood. So um, he's, he's really one of my dearest friends right now, and I was probably the out-of-the-box person before him. So God gave us grace in our relationship. But that's Nathan, and he's an actor and film producer and lives in New York. 
And then Joy, we had three children, uh, three miscarriages. And then when I was 42, Nathan came to me and he said, Mama, I think God wants you to have another little girl. And I said, well, you know, honey, Mommy's getting old. And, um, you know, that may not happen. I just had, you know, three little mishaps. And he said, but Mom, do you believe in miracles? And so six weeks later, I was throwing up, which was a good sign. And I had little Joy, who is now... Uh, 21, and she's getting her master's in St. Andrews in Scotland. We, we have this English thing going. We're, we're really related to Glenn and Holly in that way. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I want to just start out with this, and Clay and I are going to be going back and forth. But I think I'll tell you this story first, and then I'm going to go to the next slide. But, you know, Clay and I had been in ministry. We had been in missions. And so we thought in our hearts that we were, you know, at least a little bit on the righteous road until we had children who humbled us greatly. And I remember a time when he was working in California about, uh, we, were, we had moved from Vienna to go to a church in California. And with my, his work schedule was 70 hours a week. That was a standard in this church. And I had all these ear-infected, asthmatic children. And so I didn't see him a lot. And so I said, I'm going to go visit your mom for uh, just to get a break. I need somebody to help me. So fast forward, and I'll try to hurry through this. This is a true story. Uh, Nathan, my ODD, OCD, OD, whatever it is, child, was the one who never slept. He didn't sleep till he was four years old, four and a half. But at that particular time, he was six months Joel was two, and Sarah was four and a half. And so he was the kind of child that uh, you dreaded when he cried because you knew it could be hours and hours with him. But anyway, he, was, he had awakened, and it was 5.30 in the morning in this tiny little town in Texas, and it was already 112 degrees. Uh, it happened to be that during that period of time, it was over 105 for 21 days in a row. And I am allergic to heat, it makes me sinful. Um, you know, <clears throat> children won't go outside. They won't play. There's bugs. There's spiders. So anyway, I had gone there to escape the trash, the pressures of all these kids. And so Nathan started crying and I nursed him. And then, you know, I'm putting him down. You, you put these children down like this. Does anyone have any children like that? Because, you know, if you just wiggle your eyelash, they're going to wake up. At which point, as I put him down, I looked at my watch, and it was five till six, and he was still sleeping. And Joel, who was two and a half at that point, came running down the steps, and he said, Mommy, Mommy, I've had diadita, and it's all over everything. And I, you know, I'm already sinking, and because he's screaming, Nathan woke up. You know, it wasn't one of those, wah, 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 wah. It was one of those, wah. And uh, so... I'm sure my blood pressure is going up. And I said, just sit down right where you are. At which point, Sarah, this is hot Texas, and we had just come from a more moist climate, came down the stairs and said, Mommy, I'm having one of my famous nosebleeds. And there's just this yucky, smelly stuff all over my bed. So we found out that Joel had visited Sarah before he had come downstairs. So the morning was havoc. Uh, I just was changing diapers, listening to screaming. Everything was going awry, at which point Joel said, Oh, Mommy, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh, Mommy. And uh, I said, What? And he said, with an empty bottle of Pepto-Bismol in his hand, 
said, Mommy, I had an accident. He, was, he had a lisper. He said, I, I just spilled this all over Nana's new green carpet. So, uh, you know, my mother-in-law um, was there, and I didn't even know her that well because we'd been overseas. And I remember just thinking, you know, I said to the kids, they came in and said, what are we going to do today? And I said, I don't know, but if your attitude doesn't improve, you're both going back to your room. And um, really, they didn't even have a bad attitude. <laughs> but uh, at that point, I looked at my watch, and it was only 9.15. And I thought, oh, my goodness, it's three and a half hours till nap time. So I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way, but I remember calling Clay. You know, we had been discipling diplomats and, and teachers and, and uh, people in the Philharmonic and all of these people, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do to help these children grow into those people. So I called Clay, and I said, Honey, I, I am out of control. I said, I just react to my days. I don't know what to do. And I said, We need to come up with a plan. And so to make a long story short, because we do want to let you out eventually, uh, we talked about the fact that I needed to have something in my mind every day so that whenever I came to a situation, whenever I was with the children or whenever they uh, were with me in different opportunities, that I would know what to do because I had a plan in my mind. And so we came up with this little thing that we're going to be talking with you about today called Life Gifts, G-I-F-T-S is what we kind of want you to think about because uh, we realized that we wanted our children to have eternal gifts in the sense that they would understand what it meant to know God personally, to love God, to know his ways, to know the security and stability of his boundaries, to understand the calling that he would have in their life for the kingdom of God. You know, we we had all these visions, but we also, in wanting to build this into their lives, we wanted them to understand that they were supposed to take all that we were shaping into the treasure chest of their hearts. We pictured their hearts as treasure chests. How could we fill it with truth and beauty so that they would go out into the world and make an impact? But we also wanted them to be a gift to the world of God's grace. And so anyway, it was, a, it was one of those come to Jesus meaning, uh, more, uh, moments. And we came up with life gifts. But Kind of the corpus of information we want you to start with with us today in understanding is I think a lot of people are looking for a magic bullet. What, what 10 things can we do to make this easy? What 10 things can we do to make our children just be in the box and behave? But God is about the heart. And over 800 times in scripture, it, uh, God mentions the heart. Uh, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and so on and so forth. So we realized that we needed the goal of our plan to be focused on reaching the heart, the personality, the passions, the, the, the who our children were, because legalism can change behavior, but only heartfelt passion and vision and excitement for life can really shape a person to become a real Christ follower. So that was what the goal of us, uh, goal of our parenting was. But I want to take you to John six sixty three. It said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit who gives life. We wanted to live in such a way that our children would find the spirit of God 
alive in the way we celebrated life, the way we taught, the way we uh, loved them, the way we had fun, the way we introduced people into our home to the reality of the incarnational Christ. It is the spirit who gives life, the flesh. You have to mind me. You have to do this. I am stronger than you. I can make you mind. The flesh profits nothing. You might be bigger than your child now, but if you're like us, your children will eventually be bigger than you. (laughs) And uh, you want that when they grow into the fullness of adulthood and the fullness of their spiritual muscle, you want that they're going to be those kind of people who have embraced who the reality of God is because they tasted it in your home. They heard it in your home. They felt it in your home. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit in her life. So I'm going to start out today. Basically, uh, by the time you're three, I want you to just think through G-I-F-T-S. As you're going through your day, when do you need to think this? When do you need to apply it? And the first uh, gift that we came up with that we wanted our children to have as a regular part of our investment in them is called grace. The gift of grace is the desire and ability to relate personally and purposefully to God and people. In, in scripture, when Jesus was asked, what are the most important commandments? And he said in Matthew 22, you're real familiar with this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And I, I've thought about what does it mean to love God with, with all of my heart? Your heart is where your passions are, your vision, the excitement that you have for life. In what way do we engage in loving God with all of those areas, with the whole being of who we are? In what areas uh, do we love him with our mind? Do we take the time to become more and more self-educated, to study scripture, to think clearer, to to be the person that when people come and draw from my life, they're going to be drawing excellence from God because I've invested in that place. Uh, So we thought we need to have our children understand that loving God is the foundation that he was going to not say to them how perfect were you but how much did you love me because I want to be your father and I want to walk with you and I want you to understand that no matter what you do nothing will separate you from my love but the second part of this is you shall love your neighbor as yourself and we realized that the foundational area for us was to teach our children to love God but also to love people and a lot of that is, is training and shaping. They first learn love because we have loved them and spent time with them and touched them and sung to them as babies. It actually imprints their brains. It actually goes into their whole thinking that they will believe when they're teenagers if they are cherished as babies. It's amazing all the correlations that they're seeing now between that whole area of touch, feel, and verbal affirmation to, to little babies, what they end up believing when they're older. So we learn to love because we have to be patient to love our children and generous. And then they learn to love others from that. And uh, I'm going to talk about this verse in just a minute, but I want to tell you a story about, I'm telling a lot of Nathan's stories. I I have done that a lot over the years because he was kind of the tail that wagged the dog. Does anyone have that in their family? The the one who gets a little bit more focused because they're a little bit louder? And uh, my kids used to say, you know, Nathan always gets in trouble for saying what we thought, but didn't say. So that's what I call extroverts. 
But anyway, uh, Clay and I had some friends. It was Christmas time. Some people were coming to visit us from overseas, from Austria. And, you know, we had prepared the house and prepared the food. And we had uh, these four children, three children and this little baby and dogs and cats. And we were living out in the country in my mother-in-law's house. And um, I had said to Nathan, he was at the point at about uh, five, six years old, where no matter what you said, if you said uh, yes, he would say no. If you said white, he would say black. And, you know, he even, we came home one night and he had his dukes up when uh, we had gone out for a date. And he was like this in the corner, purple from the head up. And my mother-in-law, Sarah and Joel, were standing in the corner away from him, afraid of what he might do to them. Uh, this is him. And, and so I prayed and prayed, God, what should we do to reach him? He, he's defiant. He's strong-willed. He has all these issues. And, and as I was looking through scripture, and I actually was writing the Ministry of Motherhood book at the time. We're thinking through it. Clay and I were thinking through this. And I kept seeing that Jesus was with them, and he went with them to the mountain, and he ate with them. at the. And it was as though the Holy Spirit said, you need to really focus personally on loving Nathan more and figure out who he is. And so we, were, we had all these people in our home, and we were going on this walk. We lived out in the country in Texas, and uh, it was a you know fun thing to do. And so I said three times to Nathan, Nathan, get your coat. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to behave nicely in front of my friends. <laughs> He'll get his coat in a minute. <laughs> get your coat! Anyway, so, um, you know, it was all this anger. It was kind of like, why can't he ever just get his coat? So, of course, we got out with all the entourage out on this road, and I said, I looked back, and he didn't have his coat. And after three minutes, he came up to me, and he said, Mommy, I'm so cold. I want to go home. And so at that point, you know what I was thinking inside. If it was legal to choke him, I might have choked him. I'm teasing. You guys are not very humorous this morning. You need to lighten up and laugh at my jokes, or I'm just going to know. Anyway, but you know how you feel, and I... And, It was as though the Holy Spirit said to me, you need to go be with Nathan. So I got down on his level, and I said, honey, how about if you and mommy go have a cup of hot chocolate all by ourselves? Nobody will be there. And he looked at me, and he said, you mean today I'm going to be more important than all the other people in your life? I said, Yes. He took my hand. He kissed it about 50 times. He told me every joke he had ever heard in his life. And at the end of it, he said, Mommy, I'm so glad I got you alone. I never get you alone. This made me feel so good. And so here we are. We talk about these grandiose things about what we're supposed to do. But... Nathan is an extrovert, and he wants someone to listen. He just would talk for 30 minutes without stopping. He needed me to look into his eyes. This is, we need to live in a more humane way to actually give people time. And I actually had several people after that that called me and said, what have you done to Nathan? He's a different little boy. And he said later on, he said to me, you know, Mommy, when you spend time with me, it makes me want to obey. And when you don't spend time with me, uh, it makes me do whatever I need to do to get your attention. 
And so when we're teaching this gift, I, I had to look all the way through my day and say, is this a moment when I need to love my child? Is this a moment when he needs me to listen, to get down on his level? And Nathan is still like that. When I talk to him and spend time with him, and he's coming home for the first time by himself when there's not an entourage of other kids here, and he's so excited. But uh, I, I think another verse in the midst of all this really impacted Clay and me, and it was Romans 2.4. And it says, do you think lightly of the riches of the kindness and tolerance and patience of God, not knowing it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance? In the kindness of God to our children is usually spelled T-I-M-E. We, we have to give them time. And if they're an introvert, we have to draw them out. And if they're an extrovert, we have to play and do things. But God gave us our children so that I want to write a book now that we've written different because I kind of want to write a book now called The Different Kind of Parenting because I think that, do it, okay, (laughs) because I think as I look at our kids and they're all engaged in these great things in the world and they love the Lord and, and they're all very unique and independent, I realize that a lot of the formulas out there are trying to stuff people into a mold. And we realized that God wanted us to, to look at our children. That, For instance, Peter, uh, you know, he said, Peter, you're the rock. And Thomas, you're the lawyer. You're the man in whom there's no guile. And, and Mary, this will be told about you. Jesus didn't cookie cutter his, his children. Okay, so the first thing you're looking for during the day is, gee, is grace. Am I extending grace? Am I teaching them to extend grace to each other? Am I teaching them how to give grace to the world? I is inspiration. I'm going to fly through here. The gift of inspiration is the desire and ability to view all of life in light of God's sovereignty and purpose. And I think that this is a component that a lot of parents miss. Because deep in the hearts of all of our children, regardless of personality or maturity, they were made to be a part of this mega story of God's. They were made to be a Frodo or a Sam or somebody in the story they have a place to to serve god and a lot of times people have said how did your children manage to still believe in god after university and i i thought you know i don't know for sure but i think that one of the things that motivated them was when they went into their worlds they had a sense that they were they were a part of god's light to the world that they were a part of god's kingdom we would always say i wonder if you're going to be a daniel in your generation you know daniel lived in the most ungodly culture ever before and yet because of his love for God 60,000 non-Jews wanted to return to Israel because of his testimony because he was a man of integrity so the whole area of inspiration is trying to look inside your children's hearts and say I see inside of you I meant to bring this uh, little seed today to show you it it was actually an acorn that somebody had given me last week Because if you look at the potential in an acorn, it's just a tiny little thing. But inspiration is looking into the heart, the personality, the quirks of your children and saying, I wonder if you'll be a great doctor or a great builder or a great missionary or a great nurse with compassion or a musician who will solve people's, comfort people's lives. And so a part of our plan was we looked at... uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. But do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We don't want our children to be so influenced by the world that they have no ability to think outside of the box. We want them to look at the stories and say, maybe I'll be an Esther, a Daniel, a a Rahab, whatever. But God has a, a role for you to play in his larger story. And your, your choices matter. You will see people I will never see. You will love people I will never know. I wonder how God's going to use you. Uh, I love, we always talked to our children and went through a study of Hebrews with them, the, the chapter of the heroes of faith. It says in Hebrews, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. The whole area of Hebrews is one story after the other of people who chose to live by faith and to change their world because they captured a vision for God in the midst of normal circumstances. Joel came to us one day. He's my six-foot-five composer, and uh, he's also, we called him Gentle Joel. We had this uh, wildcat Nathan, and then Joel had to be different, so he was Gentle Joel. And uh, he was in this kind of prestigious, he made it into this prestigious boys' choir, when he was a little boy and he was about 11 years old and he came to Clay and me and uh one day and he said you know mom you know mom his voice was still high and um he said you know I go every day to this class and this guy has been shoving me around behind the stage he you know he's been shoving me and he pushes me and he pushed me all the way to the ground and he gave me a bruise on my arm and you know I, I just feel like I don't know what to do I, you know, he's, he was 14, Joel was 11. And he said, I, I feel like I don't know how to control it, Mama. I don't know what to do with him. So, you know, Clay and I, being the parents that we were, were going to go to the teacher and settle this situation and tell them what was what because this boy was bullying our Joel. And so he came to us one night, and uh, we were going to meet the teacher the next day. And he said, Mommy, you know what I found out? I found out that this boys daddy just left them and that they had to move out of their house and they're living in an apartment and he is really angry about this and he said you know how you've always been talking to us about making a difference and and being the love of God and being heroes in our own story and he said what if I can really be just patient with him and what if I can become the friend that he needs and what if I can just put up with him in a way so that I can still be his friend because I think he needs somebody to be his friend right now. Well, you know, we were ready to give the teacher what with, you know. And Joel had been listening to these stories and already his self-perception in his mind at 11 years old was, I wonder how God's going to use me in this classroom situation, in uh, in, in this boy's life. And so I think that your children will feel that their lives matter, even difficulties matter, if they understand that they can be strong, that they can be faithful, they can be loving, they can be an instrument of God wherever they are. And I think it's so important in this whole area of being heroes. This is what kept Nathan going. Uh, he, He kept feeling like, okay, I may not be able to add two plus two. But I have a story inside to tell. That's what he did. He wrote stories for this movie. He's working another one. But it's the stories that 
say, God has a place for you. You are not a diagnosis. You are not a personality. You are a child who's shaped in the image of God. I wonder how God's going to use you to change your world. So G is I. I'm looking every day. How can I build a story in their lives? How can I confront them? How can I? Okay, now it's Clayster. the middle of the model, uh, F, and let me just get my stuff set up here. Just give me a moment. And I think when we get to this word faith, that um, I, I think it's easy for us to, as parents think of our little kids and think, well, my child really doesn't have faith. I'm not really sure what it is. But And what I want to do and what, I, uh, what really kind of uh, gives me a lot of, uh, I found a lot of interest in is kind of going back and looking at some of the passages that uh, as parents have shaped the way we think about parenting. And I want to just challenge us to rethink a little bit of those. And I'm going to have to do this so quickly that uh, you'll have to uh, really listen fastly, I guess. Is a, uh, but when we think about this idea of faith, uh, what is that? And, and, and I want to just uh, remind us about uh, Matthew 18. Three to six, uh, where Jesus. There it is. Um, Jesus says, "Whoever uh, humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives um, uh, one such uh, child in my name receives me." Whoever causes one of these uh, to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone uh, around his neck, be drowned. But he uses two words in this passage. <coughs> uh, he uses the word little children, which is the term pioneer, which is really a little child. And he uses the word pisteo, which means faith, to have faith or to believe. And so Jesus acknowledges that every child has some nascent ability to have faith. So, so that's what we're looking at is how do we develop this nascent faith in our children? How do we strengthen that and make it uh, come alive for them? So this life gifts model is partly about that. When you think about the term life, uh, the more I read this in scripture, the more I study it, and I'm going to be writing a book called The Life-Giving Parent. Sally wrote The Life-Giving Home, and I'm writing this book for Tyndale called The Life-Giving Parent, which is looking at how do we bring the life of God into our homes? Because that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about this life gifts. We're giving our children not just physical life, but this idea of spiritual life, of bringing the Spirit of God into our home. How does that happen? And the first place we have to start is that children are not just blank slates waiting for us to fill it out as though we can make them into what they want to be. But if you really look at the Scriptures, and I go into this in Heartfelt Discipline, uh, there's already stuff written there. God has designed them with, a, with an ability to respond to us as parents. That's already there. I don't have to create that. And I believe he's built into your children uh, this idea of an ability to believe in something beyond themselves, this idea of imagination, if you want to call it that. And so our role as a parent is not to create that, but it's to release it. And so uh, you probably have never thought of uh, 
the uh, <clears throat> parable of the sower as a parenting, and I'm not going to go through it all, but just go, I'm just going to go to the very end. Uh, you probably never thought of the par- parable of the sower as a parenting passage, uh, but it's interesting. What's the last thing he says there? He says, but the seed, he's talking about hearts that have not received, uh, that have not been saved yet, if you go through the whole parable. And at the very end, he says, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Well, that's what I want for my children. And if it's interesting, it's interesting to go back and look at this passage a little closer. It says, the ones who received uh, that the, the, uh, the ones who heard the word in an honest and good heart, a good and good heart is literally what's that saying, uh, an aesthetic goodness and an ethical goodness, both what's right and what's beautiful. Uh, so the question is, that's an unsaved heart. Even the good soil is an unsaved heart in this parable. How did that goodness get there? How did that ability to recognize the goodness of God get there? And I really believe that, there, that this is a uh, a parenting picture that that part of our job as parents is to develop that sense of the ability to to uh, to appreciate the goodness of God and to see it and to understand it in our children. So we're cultivating. That's what good soil is. It's cultivated soil. It's been cleared. It's been tilled, and it's been developed. So uh, so we're that's that's a parenting picture. And just to uh, just to show how that works uh, a little bit more, if you look at Second uh, Timothy, where uh, Paul is is uh, preaching to Timothy before uh, is kind of in his last his last uh, he says uh, you however Timothy continue in the things which you have learned from learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them and that from childhood and the term there is brephos which means from the womb okay so he's speaking, he's telling Timothy that even in the womb uh, as an infant. He says that, that uh, from childhood, from infancy, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that what? Leads to salvation uh, through faith which is in Christ. So his mother and grandmother uh, uh, practiced this idea of faith, which is uh, the gift of faith is the desire and the ability to study God's word and apply its truths uh, to every area of life. So that's a picture in scripture that our role as parents is not just uh, is is uh, w- bigger than just you know we're we're not the ones creating whatever our children we're making room for the spirit to work in their lives we're cultivating the soil of their hearts in order for this transformation to happen and that's really what we're talking about when we talk about uh, this idea of faith uh, that we're cultivating the soil of their hearts. Um, So, uh, and it's interesting to me that uh, Paul in 1 Timothy says the goal of our instruction is we, we tend to look at this and think three things. It's love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But really the construction here is that the goal of our instruction is love. So that's, that's really the starting point. And then he gives these three uh, by the construction here the, uh, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So these things are important, but the, the way we get there is through this relational process of being with our children. And that's what Life Gifts is about. It's trying to create this uh, environment in our homes of getting out of thinking it's just, you know, I've got to bring all these things <coughs> into my home to make them all happen. And Hebrews uh, 11.6 kind of says the same thing uh, there in the, the Hall of Faith. It says, without faith... 
it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith is key. So that's why we put this in the middle of our model, or it is by God's uh, grace, it ended up in the middle of the model, so that was handy. Uh, but it's really, and you'll see in a minute, kind of the fulcrum. So uh, so what does that look like in a home? And I think it's really all about bringing, like I said earlier, the life of God into our home. Uh, now, we tend to think of, when you think, oh yeah, I want to build a Christian home. So we think of all the things that we can do for it. We can put them in in Sunday school, and we put our kids in Bible class, and we buy them all the best uh, Christian videos, and they only have Christian books, and want to make sure they only have really good Christian friends, and we do all these things thinking that that is building this Christian home that Life Gifts is looking to do, but that's not how you build a Christian home. A Christian home is not built by what the children are doing. A Christian home is built by what the parents are doing. So so that's why life gifts gives you a simple way to think am i really are these five things helping to build this christian home that that god wants me to do so how do we do that how do we seek how do we seek him as parents and influence our children and and cultivate the soil of their hearts for our house it was uh some very kind of just very general kind of things we we had a very verbal environment uh, so we always, at, at, at dinner table, we were always asking questions, always talking. We interacted with our children all the time about spiritual issues and spiritual things, quoting scriptures, asking them what they thought. Uh, we were very focused on the Word of God. So uh, we, we uh, applied scriptures to situations where we were in and, and asked our kids to interact in those as well and uh, that sort of thing. We, we have scriptures hanging around our homes, you know, just as a way of making that uh, part of our, or the, even of the atmosphere and environment of our home, uh, calligraphy kind of things. Uh, we would pray, you know, that, that when we are praying, we're bringing the life of God into our home and into our children's experience. So we wanted to bring our children into our prayers so that they're experiencing that life of God with us. And then we, we had fellowship with other people, with other believers, so we wanted them to see the life of God in other families. And... Uh, uh, we would tell stories and read the best stories we could. Uh, one of the things we did, we read many stories out loud to our children. So that they, they had literary models as well, uh, fictional models of what does a life of living with God look like. So we wanted to fill that in as well. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so we really focused, this, this middle part is really a, a focus, and this is the way it kind of looks. I just wanted to show you, uh, visualize this, this whole gifts picture real quickly. Uh, the grace, inspiration, faith, and we're about to move to training and service. And if you look at it, you can see that it's really the heart is kind of the fulcrum that keeps the head and the hands in balance. So we're not talking about just head knowledge. We're not talking about, you know, your your child does not come to faith just because they know enough. Uh, So we're talking about both heart, uh, both head and hands, and then the fulcrum of that is developing this heart uh, developing the heart of God. So it's kind of, you look each way, and one is, uh, and that's where in each of the definitions we have this idea of desire and ability. The head is really developing desire, wanting to know who is God and what's he like. The, uh, at the other end is the hands, and that's developing ability to actually live out these principles that are in Scripture. So, but heart, if we don't have the heart right, then it gets out of balance. It can either get out of balance on thinking that all we have to do is teach them enough, or it can get out of balance on thinking that all I have to do is train them enough. Uh, so, so that's a picture of, of life gifts in general. 
the and I'm really running through this, so I hope you will uh, bear with my breathlessness here trying to get through the words. Uh, and the the fourth gift then that you just saw there on the on the chart is the gift of training. Uh, the gift of training is the, the 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 desire and the ability to grow in Christian maturity in the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, spirit is very important in all this, which means. We need to learn as parents. We need to know how to live in the power of the Spirit as well. Uh, <clears throat> I think of one quick story when uh, Joel was about 11, 11 years old and we were in Texas and he was, I came into the room and he was just uh, kind of uh, having a, a, a fit with the, the computer. And just, it, it just really uh, it wasn't doing what he wanted it to do and he was getting mad and he kind of hitting it and yelling at it. So I did my dadly duty and took him aside, and I thought, yeah, good job. You know, we settled that down. Until I found out why. And <clears throat> what had happened is I had reprogrammed something earlier, shifted some folders and files around. So when he went to the computer, it didn't do what it was supposed to do, and that's why he was frustrated. So it wasn't he wasn't frustrated because of what the computer was doing. He was frustrated because of what the computer should have done but wasn't, and my fault. And I want to take us to a passage to rethink this and show you how this works. Because Paul in Ephesians, this is kind of, if you know what the Shema is in, in Deuteronomy 6, it's what, what pious Jews repeat every day, we're not going there. But this is kind of the New Testament Shema in some ways. Uh, when Paul is talking about family roles, he says, Fathers, which also can be parents, the way the term is used, uh, <clears throat> fathers or parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, he's actually saying, fathers, stop frustrating your children. Okay, that's the, that's the impact of, of the words there. Stop frustrating. Stop provoking your children to, to anger. Rather, it's a contrast. Rather, instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, when we hear that, when I first heard those words, I, turned, I tended to think, okay, that means I need to train and instruct my children. I need to that that was the main focus of this passage. But the more I poked around in this passage, what I found out is those words, you know, bring them up, uh, that always said to me, yeah, I need to, you know, learn everything I need to do. Uh, if you look at that term, it's really the term ektrefo, <coughs> which means to feed from. It's the term for nurture. And it's only used one other time in the New Testament, about just a few verses before, when, when, when Paul tells husbands they are to nourish same word, and cherish their wives. So the same word that he was applying to the marriage, he's applying now to children. And so bring them up doesn't really get at it. I think it's really more you nurture your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And if you look at that word, you're bringing the life. So uh, you're feeding them from what? The life of God that's already in your heart and in your life as a parent. So this is, it's, it's put a totally different kind of way of hearing that passage for me. And because dads, you know, we don't normally think of ourselves as nurturers. That must, that's kind of a mom thing. But Paul is saying, no, the role of a parent is to be a nurturer, to be a life giver. That's really what the impact of this is. And how do we do that? By the discipline and instruction. Uh, discipline is just the term for, uh, for, for how you help a young man or a young person uh, walk with God. And instruction is a very relational term here. It really means admonition. So really getting down there face-to-face and, and talking about what needs to happen. And so, uh, so this training and, uh, and, and instruction is actually very relational and uh, very personal. 
Uh, I just want to read an interesting quote from uh, um, H. Clay Trumbull, who was at the turn of the last century in 1890, a very important guy. And uh, he said, and he's like a great-great-grandfather of... Uh, Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, thank you. Um, it has been said that the essence of teaching is causing another to know. It may be similarly be said that the essence of training is causing another to do. Teaching gives knowledge, training gives skill. And teaching fills the mind, training shapes the habits. Uh, and the parent who does not recognize the possibility of training his children as well as instructing them misses one of the highest privileges as a parent and fails of his most important work for his children. So this idea of, of training and instruction is really at the heart of everything we do uh, as, as parents, and it's kind of like giving them uh, more. So, and of course, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 uh, states that very specifically as well, that that's what Scripture does. It trains our children, and it trains people in righteousness. And so uh, how does that look in our home? We... Uh, <coughs> We instructed our children in the Word of God. Uh, we did that several ways. We developed a little so uh, way if you sit down and you have the Bible open, you just do something like, uh, remember ARTS, ask a question. Get them involved in the idea behind the passage. Uh, like if you're looking at Goli- uh, David and Goliath, say, what, what would it have been like to be nine feet tall? And just get them engaged. And then read the Bible, talk about it, and speak to God. Uh, so that's one model. I've also uh, used one, just uh, the four words, if you just remember, no be, do, believe. Sounds like an old Sinatra song. Uh, no be, do, believe. Uh, come, whenever you open the word with your kids and, and come to a scripture, you just ask, is there something here God wants me to know, to be, to do, or believe? Very simple. And you can do that with any scripture. I wrote a, uh, a book called Our 24 Family Ways, which also does that. Uh, you can come look at this later. Uh, that uses the arts model. And so we tried to really build that kind of relational training and instruction into everything we were doing. So uh, kind of moved through those fast, but that's the uh, training. and instru- So we've got grace, instruct- uh, grace, inspiration, faith, and training. And we're going to end up with service. Oops. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Like I said, we could speak on this forever, so you just need to become our friends and come have dinner with us. But um, <laughs> um, that another component that we really believed, I want to go back just to training for a little bit because we're living in a time when there's so much on the Internet. There's so, so many foolish people. There's so many opinions. There's One of the things that Clay did well and why we did the uh, 24 Family Ways was we wanted to train our children how to think how to decipher truth from lies, how to know what was good, what was bad. Um, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Is this a light situation? How would you have acted? What do you think the hero did right or wrong? What does it mean? Do you think this book is okay to read? Why? You tell us. Justify from scripture what you've learned. Why do you think this is right or wrong? Training is, is, uh, is holding them accountable for character for integrity, for knowing what to think, knowing how to be, that when they would 
go into the world, they're not going to be those who have no integrity and we're going to pull our hair out and say, oh my gosh, does anybody have integrity in this culture? But we're sending our children into the world as leaders who know manners and who know how to be honorable and who know how to work hard and who know, and that's a part of the training. And Clay did such a great job, but you'll have to see this because we really, uh, I, this is a second part of when I was desperate and called him in California that he wrote. We wanted our children to have biblical ways and wisdom that they memorize scripture. How does it look to behave in a way that honors all people? What does it look like to speak with words that are salt? What does it look like to be humble? What is it? And so these were ways that we were, it was the oxygen they breathed in our home. And we spent a lot of time together as a family because we wanted to be those that influenced who they became, what they became, uh, so that when they went into the world, they would have a sense of confidence of how to behave as somebody called by God to be salt and light. But service is the last one. And I think it's so important, and it's really been fun for us to see that our children all look to this area, because we we really aren't completing the circle of what God intended us to do as parents. We're not supposed to protect our children in such a way that nothing bad will ever happen and they'll never hear about evil things, but we're supposed to, so to speak, send our children as warriors into a world so that they can muscle up and stand strong and have faith when they're confronted with the difficulties in the world. And even that they would have a self-image of, I am called by God to serve. Christianity isn't just about going to church on Sunday and saying, that was a great sermon. Where are we going to lunch today? But Christianity was saying, the word of God went into me. I wonder as a family how we could give more, do more, have more. So Clay mentioned that we did have a lot, and I mentioned it a lot in the Life Giving Home last year, but we invited people in. We had Bible studies in our home. We had dinners. We had meals. We kept missionaries. We, because we wanted our kids to be exposed to all sorts of interesting people and see us reach out to them. But we also wanted them to have the practice of serving. Uh, we held these uh, conferences all over the United States for the last 20 years in hotels with women coming. And we would say to our children, you know, someday you're going to have to give account for the hope that's in you. So no matter, we have two introverts, extreme introverts, two extroverts. But every year we would say, you have to share something. You have to share something you've learned. You have to do something that um, that can just talk about the fact that God has created us to be examples. And my uh, son Joel came once and he said, I can't, I can't do it. He was 13. I'm telling a lot of Joel stories today. I can't do it. I, I can't because I, you know, I'm just so embarrassed. And he, at one point, was six foot three and weighed 128 pounds, and uh, that was that year. And so, <laughs> you know, he's kind of moving into these different areas. And uh, so, I said, "Well, Joel, what, you know, what's just one thing you can share this year? What's something you've learned or you're proud of?" Or, and Clay would get together with each of the kids when they were 13 and say, you're on the cusp of adulthood, and, you know, God has given you authority and power, and and you have agency in your life. All choices have consequences. What are you going to do with your life? So he had met with Joel, and he gives our boys these, what are they called, claymores? They're Knights Templar swords. Anyway, they're these really tall swords, and we hang it on their wall and, you know, talk to them about, you know, becoming a a part of the battle with light and dark. And so Joel got up. He said, well, I can at least show them my sword. So we had a thousand women in this ballroom and Joel has a, he's still between the, you know, he's growing, but he said, 
this year was a profound year in my life because I met with my father and he challenged me to be a warrior and he gave me this and he put his sword up he got a standing ovation these women were like yay warriors for God and they stood up and they were clapping and he said I think I can speak the rest of my life you know because he was there and people were championing him and he saw that his life could make a difference uh, you know my daughter Joy uh, actually both one of my boys one of my girls in the past month she's in a very secular school and she said you know what I'm doing she said I went to Goodwill and I got this really big overstuffed chair and I bought all these candles and I put up all these lights and I got a teapot and five teacups and she said I just regularly go eat breakfast with all of these people who drink all the time. Scotland, you drink a lot because it's cold there. And um, she said, I just invite them up. I made brownies. I made cookies. I made cupcakes. And she said, Mom, I'm hearing these really sad stories from people who've never been loved. And she said, I'm just making my little dorm room the place where they can come to talk and find the love of God. And she said, I I look back and I think, I, I feel like... I'm hearing all these voices in my head, and it sounds a lot like you and Dad. So, you know, the voices are there. But anyway, so when you go into... Uh, the, the last part I want to just say really quick. I, okay, did you put it up there? I just want to say in John 12, 25, and 26, I, uh, what is the word? It's not enabled. It's, uh, you know, when you get to do whatever you want to in life. Entitled, thank you. I feel like our kids are growing up in an entitled world where they have all of these things and, and they feel like they have to have privilege. Our kids, we had four kids. We didn't have enough time. We'd have to say, you have to wait. You know, tonight we're going to eat oatmeal. Um, you know, you need to earn the money if you're going to go over to Oxford because we don't have enough money to send four kids to Oxford. Uh, I think a part of helping children access the power and the ability and the strength that God has actually given them in their lives is to teach them that the world isn't out there just to please them and meet all their needs. That we're going to love them, we're going to make our home the best place to be. But it says in, in John 12, 25 and 26, and this is such an important component when you send your children into the world, they're going to meet people who are going to criticize them. We've always said to our children, if you stand up in front of anyone, you become a target. Just know that. That's part of leadership. People are going to criticize you. But it says here, the man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus was the God who bowed his knee in the sand and washed 120 dirty man toes. He was the one who gave his life. He was the one who was humble and who served and who saved prostitutes and I think that the last part of this whole emphasis is that we didn't just want our children to know the love of God, how to love people, to be inspired and and hear great stories, to have that corpus of faith that we're teaching them from Genesis to Revelation, uh, to be training them in character every day. Could you have said that differently? I meant wash all the dishes, whatever it is, you know, we're training. But we wanted our children to understand that a part of our family heritage and legacy was that each of them had a call in their lives to go into the world and serve the Lord. But it starts with understanding that it takes us bowing down, giving up our rights, and saying, God, I will be yours. How will you use me in my generation? 
So there it is again. What is G? I F T S. So every day we would go through our busy lives and say, okay, is this a situation to do one of these things? So thank you so much. Why don't you close them in prayer? Sorry we talked so fast. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, just for this time together. And I just pray these ideas might sink into all of us as parents and with the great responsibility and privilege you've given us with our children. So bless these people in this church. Uh, We're just excited to see what you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen.